Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers. And I'm Andrea Willits. Together, we're disrupting the trance of unworthiness and guiding women to reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Today's episode is about how did the revelation project begin? What inspired it? Stay tuned for more to be revealed. Hey everyone. So we are sitting here together, Monica and I, Andrea Willits and Hey everybody, it's Monica Rogers. Yeah. So today we're going to reveal where it all began, the Revelation Project. Um, So uh, just sit back and enjoy some story time as uh, Monica shares where, where it began. So Monica, where were you in your life when the Revelation Project was starting to have life. So where I was at, it was after actually a, a massive depression. I had really had what I call a, you know, a full on life breakdown, (laughs) almost like to the point where, you know, at the time, I think I called it like a universal smackdown. Like I just there was it was it was actually in hindsight cuz hindsight's always 2020 <laughs> you know kind of this divine choreography of events you know P- uh Pemashandrone talks about the wisdom of no escape yeah yeah and i there was no escape you know it was literally like um cataclysmic series of events that just tore at the very foundation of everything that I thought I had built um, until I realized I had built it on a um, a foundation of quicksand. Yeah. And I just want to, what comes to mind is the foundation of you. Mm. Well, actually the false foundation of me. What's that? Well, you know, I had built my life around what I, I thought everybody wanted, what everybody wanted me to be. You know, I, I think that having that epic experience of having everything fall apart, and when I say everything, I mean everything. It was at the time, you know, shortly before kind of all of this went down, I had built, um, you know, a successful parenting goods company. I had like done all the things that they say women can do, right? Like be the entrepreneur, be the mom, be the wife, have the picket fence. I literally had a picket fence. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, like have it all looking handled on the outside. Um, you know, the, the perfect picture on the outside and, or what, you know, people would have thought was yeah. that perfect picture. Yeah. And at the time I was, um, I had taken my company into a level where I was seeking venture capital. 
And so, you know, we were in a big growth spurt, we were scaling, we were monetizing all those right words that entrepreneurs use, you know, like I was, I had built a board of, you know, incredible entrepreneurs and seasoned professionals who were helping me like I had all the things, you know, yeah, had it all going on. And, um, and what I was kind of hiding, you know, the mask that I was wearing was hiding who I really was. And who I really was, was someone who was scared, lonely, deeply confused, exhausted. And and I was in a perpetual state of like low level self hatred and, and grief. Yeah. So I just, it, it, I'm really listening to you and, uh, you know, it's, it's the, so the surface life. Yeah. I was, was really life. pretty. It was, it was a beautiful right? it was, surface looked life. So beautiful. But the inner workings below the surface was empty. Like, well, and, and here's the thing, you know, there was a lot of life to be had kind of down there, right? Like we call it, we talk about soul diving, but I, you know, and I had done some work I had, I had actually done a lot of work. So in some ways I could be like, wow, you really knew better, but the training ground is so powerful. It really is. And so I had a huge disconnect between, it was almost like I was, I hid my transformational self, (laughs) you know, like I had, and because I, I wasn't um, allowing myself to have those conversations or had not found my tribe to be able to encourage and foster that inner growth, I had a, a really shallow faculty for it. Like I had a really shallow skill set. Um, I only had myself. Yeah, right. right. And, and, you know, there was the occasional friend that I could kind of, like, I called it go deep with, but oh, my God, you know, what I now know to be going deep, and what, and what those little treats were for me. I mean, people, if I kind of showed that side of myself, people thought I was pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, I want to, I want to make a distinction here, too, because something you and I talk about, in our relationship as friends and partners. Um, so there's something about going deep. Mm. And then there's also being real. And there's being just real with what's so. So to actually have been able to be vulnerable and to talk about where I was at, and I and that's where the loneliness came from. Yeah. You know, it was like, I just kept suiting up and putting on the mask every morning versus um and and in some ways it's interesting because I had lots of daydreams about like dropping the ball you know what I mean like purposely yes like burning it all down yes yeah there was part of it that I was really in touch with how much of a facade it was meaning that below that surface I was deeply unhappy and and I couldn't I just couldn't access or or come to that truth at that time. And that's where, again, that, you know, divine choreography and forcing kind of that no escape. It was like, it was like the world was like, yeah, you, you can do better than this. Like, <laughs> this is, this is your small game, actually. And so, you know, and, and so it was right around the time the economy collapsed. 
Um, I was in retail at the time. I had a series of retail stores. I was manufacturing and wholesaling. And of course, nobody was buying. Is that Um, like 2008? Yeah, it was right around there. Yeah. I also had, I had been having problems in my marriage. Mm -hmm. And that was coming to a head. I was, you know, like I said, raising venture capital. And so literally, I remember kind of within a six to eight week time frame, everything literally kind of falling apart. And so first it was, you know, nobody was shopping and there was no cash flow in the stores. And then it was like, none of my vendors were buying because of course they were feeling it as well across the country. And so there was that cash flow as well, you know, so two main cash flows that I was counting on. And then the investors could kind of see the writing on the wall because, of course, they were working with analysts. And so they they kind of withdrew and pulled back. So the business was failing. Oh, my God. Quickly. Failing so fast. I mean, it was like I couldn't. I had more on my plate than I could say grace over at the time. I just couldn't. I I could not. uh, I could not. It was like I needed to be eight different people. You know, my, my children also needed me because there had been you know, they had been, I think, feeling the the um, unintended impact of kind of what living with um, insane, you know, we were not sane, we were not sane yeah. people at that crazy time. Crazy making, right? Crazy making, um, depressed. I tried my best not to be crazy making, but you know, kids can sense things. Yeah. Um, and so even in my silence, I think, you know, my, oh, absolutely. my, my sure. daughter is so astute, both of them are but in different ways. And so they were just picking up on it all. Um, So they started actually being more needy. Yeah. Oh, God, it was just it was. um, And then, you know, and then it was actually getting a separation and declaring that we were divorcing and really losing at that time, um, my friends and my family that that was. Yeah. So uh, just to take a little inventory, right? So work. Yep. Career, dreams. Right. Yeah. Family. Mm-hmm. Um, relationship. Yeah. Home. Yes. And then I lost the home. Yeah. Right. So they say that, you know, like one of those things that, that you're, you're compromising, you're literally, you're, go, you potentially go into depression and like an emotional, major mo- emotional upset two of those things, you know, you're now in hell. Three of those things, you know, you're in hell and you're burning up, right? So your whole, what I'm hearing is the whole infrastructure of your life was crashing and burning. Yeah, crashing and burning. Um, Crashing and burning. And, you know, it's interesting, because as you're talking about it, I'm realizing that I was actually not connected to the news at that time of my life. I have Waldorf kids. So like, we, we didn't have TV. And it was really it was I, I know we don't think of like 2008. But I I didn't have a smartphone. I think I had like a Blackberry. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we, we didn't have like access to news on our phone and stuff. And so I didn't actually get that this was also happening you know, the, the economic crash, I did, of course, um, from talking to my investors and, um, you know, seeing, you know, the news, but I wasn't in a relationship with a lot of professional women or a lot of other professionals at the time that were kind of commiserating together. So there was also a big feeling of like isolation. Like I, I actually realized I had not built 
um, a community around me of support either for my work life. Um, and I think it's because I was a workaholic, you know, and, and we're all kind of, you know, if I look back at the woman that I was being, yeah. right, I wasn't being, I was doing, I was a woman doing, and I was doing to keep from being, You're and I was driving. doing to keep from feeling. Yeah. The distraction. Mm-hmm. It was a form of, of numbing for you. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, so, um, yeah. So I, I kind of jokingly say I went to bed for eight months, but that is true. Yeah. It was a time of deep darkness. And really in that period of time, I really wanted, you know, I was really just, I, I had no fear of death. I mean, my God, I think it's harder to live at this time in my life. I did, you know, yeah. I, I had no, I hadn't had any access to joy for a long, long time. In fact, um, it was interesting. Like once I started kind of recovering, uh, I started bumping into things that were really true for me. Like I, I couldn't visualize anymore. I was, I was never dreaming at night. Um, I was so out of touch with the creative dreaming spiritual side of myself. It was like, um, I'm like, I want to say schism and I don't know why, cause I don't even know what that word means, but it just <laughs> came in. We're going to have to look that one up. Like it was a schism, some kind of schism. Right. And so I always say that the thing that saved my life, um, well, two things. One was, um, I was too much of a coward to actually, you know, do the deed. Like I couldn't figure out like, well, you know, everything seemed messy in my waking hours. Right. And people talk about depression as like a bodily sensation. And that, that was so true for me. Like I, I could not stay awake. Yeah. Yeah. I would get up, I would put the kids on the bus. I would come home. I would sleep all day. I would go pick them up at the, you know, set my alarm, yep. get up, go pick them up from the bus stop. I would make them dinner, put them to bed. Cause of course in those days they were going to bed at six 30. Yeah. And I would go back to bed. You're majorly in that retreat, right? Of like the she wolf in the den having to lick her wounds. You know, that's the metaphor that always comes up for me when we are, we're, we're so wounded. Yeah. We're so depleted. We're yeah. so lost. It's all you can do. Yeah. And I, and I had had the second thing, you know, that really saved my life during that time period. And it was, um, a wise woman had given me a book. I'll never forget Ellen. She was my neighbor across the street and she lived around the corner from one of my stores that was in Newport, Rhode Island. And, um, I, I wrote her a email later to tell her how like that book saved my life, but she handed me a copy of Pema Chandron's, um, when things fall apart. Amen, sister. Yeah. That book has saved a lot of lives, I think. And she, you know, and she even said, you know, I, I'm sensing you're going through a really hard time and I don't need the book back. But when you find somebody that needs the book, I'd love for you to pass it on. And I, and I did just that, but I didn't pass it on until a few years ago when, um, we had a dear friend of, of Austin's who lost his wife and I gave it to him and told him the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need the book back, mm-hmm. but give it to somebody next who needs it. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting, you know, like, throughout that eight months in the bed, you know, we, I, I think my it was the longest, it felt like the longest journey. You know, in some ways, it was only the beginning. Yeah. Back to myself. But I, I remember 
toward the end of it, you know, like having almost this like waking dream or this in this kind of fugue state where what kind of happened in that bed, you know, if you can kind of metaphorically look at it like a cocoon, was that that was the that was kind of like the beginning of learning to love myself Mm. for probably the very first time in my life. Um, I'm someone again, who has done a lot of work. Like I say that with air quotes as if the listeners can see me here, but, (laughs) but, um, but it's interesting, you know, you can do a lot of work and still not feel the work. Oh yeah. Right. So there's like doing the work, right. I I also did all the things. I said all the right things. I like went to the workshops and you know, like you're a great student. I was a great student and I, and I, and, and fascinating because I would intellectualize, which of course is what women learn to do. We learn to shut off our emotions and we intellectualize everything versus feel them. And that's where women are incredibly intuitive and powerful. And unfortunately, we're taught to disconnect from that side of ourselves when we're little girls. And of course, the, I'm no different. I was taught to disconnect from that side of myself. It wasn't acceptable. Um, it was too much. It was too dramatic. It was too sensitive. It made my family uncomfortable. Like, knock it off. Yeah, too needy, maybe. Yeah, too needy. You know, it was weak. It was unbecoming. Drama. Yeah. Right? All yeah, the all aversions, the right? Yeah. And I was often shamed for having emotion. Mm. And and I think that, you know, that's unfortunate because I remember being a little girl and having no problem finding my way in the world. It was like I believed I could go anywhere and do anything and I could because my GPS was intact, you know. And so um, that kind of inner compass that we have um, you know, there, there are those of us that are lucky enough to have it when we grow up, you know, and I'd say like, that is, and an also a divine choreography, you know, to have that intact, Absolutely, it's not the case for most women. Yeah. For, for most women, that compass is thoroughly broken. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're, you're in bed. Mm hmm. And um, you're licking your wound, so to speak. You're, 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 I'm making this up, literally allowing yourself to find yourself in the dark, right? Like, not that it was even intentional, but right? Like, now there's nothing but you in that bed. Yeah. In that cocoon, day in a sense, after day right? after day. Yeah. So, so what, what started happening? Yeah. So, so that book, so like when I would wake, you know, I would like read a passage and, you know, for somebody who wasn't necessarily like a Buddhist or Buddhist thinking, right. But, but it truly was, you know, a lot of people talk about resonance or dissonance, right. As coaches, we know that to be like a really strong kind of distinction, uh, right. To help people kind of, uh, to guide them or help them surface values And it was literally like I was discovering the truth, like somebody was speaking truth to me for the first time. And in a way that I got it, I was like, oh, my God, like it was just there was a way that she wrote and talked about her own experience. And because it was very similar about although in her case, I believe 
her husband uh, had an affair and left her. And in my case, I pulled the plug on our marriage. It was my choice, mm-hmm. meaning it was my decision. Now, mm-hmm. we, that's another episode. You know what I mean? In terms of like whose decision really was it? And But me actually, that was also the beginning of me. And it was before the depression, but I don't think I had a whole lot of strength left. And that was that was like almost like saying my truth right before I went yeah. down the tubes. Yeah, like that's where your voice started. To that's where it started to through. kind of like mm-hmm. where I where life had become so intolerable. And it was also this feeling of like everything else is falling apart. Like I tend to be like go big or go home, even when things are bad. Yeah, you sure do. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so your voice was literally breaking through the veil, the trance. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? This isn't working either. You know what? Enough's enough. And there was something about doing that. Like I knew, I knew I was in an oh shit. Like I, I have no idea what I've really done, but like whatever it is. I guess, you know, like, let's just burn it down. Because I think in my mind, like, I was, I was like, self-destructing. And I wanted it. Yeah. There was part of me that wanted it. Like, bring it on. Yeah, like, bring it. Like, I am done. Like, and I'm not afraid of death. Like, take me. Yeah. It's an interesting place to be, isn't it? It is an interesting place to be. Because a lot of people are like, I remember, you know, before this, these last really nine years, even when I met you, right, still having a very cynical side, very cynical, like, you know, it was funny, people got a lot of humor from it. Um, You know, and I I, hate people today. Yeah, like, and I (laughs) I still bring it right. But, but there was like a, a cynical side to me that, you know, if people would get into talks about death, I would just be like, I'm not afraid of death, like, take me tomorrow, like, life's the hard part, you know, and they'd be like, are you serious? Be like, yeah, I'm totally serious. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't, I just, I just, for me, life living, oh my God, since I was a kid, so hard, was always so acutely aware of my own suffering. Mm -hmm. And I just felt so lonely in it. I was like, what the, what the hell is wrong with all these people? Why are they so happy? Yeah, I think loneliness, honestly, is in the human condition, our greatest undertaking. It's our greatest danger is loneliness to feel so detached. Truly, I really I mean, I just I don't know any other more dangerous life sentence than than loneliness. Yeah, well, it's also interesting to look back and realize, you know, I had I had some really close friendships and and God bless them people I I I loved and still love to this day. Um, you know, and I realize when I look back, water, water does seek its own level. That's one of your favorite expressions. And I always remember when you would first say it, I'd be like, what does that mean? Right? Like, and realizing that, you know, it's almost like, um, it's almost like we broadcast a frequency and energy. And our energy finds other people in the same energy. And we feel like we can see each other in that energy. And, you know, and so I tended to broadcast a frequency that would attract people like me. And so I, I would attract friendships, you know, to women who were just as cut off from their own inner, they might have, you know, actually, one of the friends that I had, who I still love and admire so much to this day, and she's done a lot of work since then. And we've had lots of discussions, lots of transformations for both of us. 
But at that time, the, that friendship was broken and wasn't going to come back either. And and so when I say I lost my friends, you know, when you get a divorce, it, you know, it's I like do. people feel like they need to choose sides. Everything is so and, and if you're already just in. Yeah, it's so true. In a mess, you know, people people have a hard time being in that mess with you. It is too messy for people to deal with. It's yeah. just like. It's threatening. It's awkward. Oh, it's, people just don't know what to do. Right. You, they think it's contagious. Right. Like, you know, like, it's really oh, true. God. It's really true. So, yeah, so lonely. Oh, my God, I was so lonely. And it, and it was interesting because in that loneliness, it forced me to befriend myself. Mm. It, it did. Wow. And, and there was something about that bed, that cocoon, and I talk about the fugue state, I'll go back to this, because, you know, we use the symbol as the butterfly. And I've always kind of been like, Oh, so trite, you know, and that's not what the butterfly represents for me, although that's part of it is, of course, the butterfly transformation, the cocoon, the stages, right. And that's come to have even more meaning for me since, yeah, you know, just some keeps, of these recent yeah. revelations and discoveries that we've had about the butterfly. It's like, Oh, my gosh, but for me, the wings, it was almost like if you cut a butterfly in half, right? Yeah. And who would ever do that? But, you know, so it feels blasphemous to say. But, um, you know, where, where you, like, it was me, like, on my side, like, meeting myself on my side in the bed. And, and I, in this dream state, I took my own face into my own hands. And I, I get choked up now talking about it. Um you know, like loving myself, yeah. you know, kissing my own, my own face, yeah. you know, and just apologizing for heaping all of the abuse all those years, because I'll tell you, um, the things that you're most afraid of out there, you know, the things that you think you can't possibly endure yeah. from others. The truth is, you're doing it to yourself oftentimes. It's why it's so painful and it's her way, right? In far more of a fiercer way, you know, and, and the truth is nobody could have ever talked to me as cruelly as I spoke to my own self. And I was unaware, you know, these are all things that over the healing process I've come to be aware of. And it's, you know, like this precious self that I am, you know, this beautiful, you know, heart filled, um, creative, brilliant being, you know, and it's to even be able to talk about myself like that, you know, in a way that, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel odd anymore. But I'll tell you, oh, my God, the journey to loving myself. I remember somebody suggesting a couple years ago that I do love affirmations in the mirror. And I was like, Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, like, hells no yeah it's just there were there were things that I didn't understand um and that I had not yet surfaced about how this whole thing works that you know that I just I didn't have the tools yet to be able to see what I needed to see in order to actually get past these huge barriers back to the truth of myself Mm. recovering yourself yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Remembering gosh. yourself. Well, right? yeah, we talk about remembering um, you know, in that different sense of literally 
going back to the places that you've abandoned yourself along the way. And almost having to revisit those things in order, you know, in shamanic world, they call it a soul retrieval. It is a necessary part. You know, a lot of people talk about the law of attraction. And I, I'm, I'm right there. I, lo- I love the law of attraction. But don't think that you're going to be a vibrational match for something out there if you haven't yet gone back and retrieved these parts of yourself so that you can actually feel the feelings and have the processing that needs to get done for your energy to shift. Yeah. So a lot of people will talk about and give a lot of lip service to the law of attraction without understanding that you can't, I mean, maybe Abraham Hicks would disagree, but in, in my world, in the world of the Revelation Project, what gets revealed does get healed. And there's something about the healing energy that is almost like a, um, it's almost like a plus energy. It's like, so whatever you were leveling up to and you heal that layer, it's almost like you get a plus energy. It's fascinating um, because the energy of healing is um luminous it's and it's transformative right and it's it's magical yeah yeah it's and i i keep you know thinking it's that higher it's that higher vibration it's an ascension it is it's an ascension within your own being and you know and i'm not i'm not just for any listeners out there is like, Oh, my God, they're going into ascension. No, you know, like I'm, (laughs) I'm I have my feet, I feel like at this point in my life, firmly grounded in both worlds, you know, where I, I like, you know, being left of center on both sides, right? Like just um, feeling like there's a time and a place for different conversations at different times in our lives. And of course, there's so many amazing modalities out there. Yeah, well, you know, it's I just want to pause here for a moment and speak to that because you said earlier, you know, you're someone that's done a lot of work. And you have right. And there's something about this time in your life that you're talking about, that really birthed the revelation project is that this was a doozy. <laughs> and it was a huge, huge lair. Yeah, right. That that really kicked your ass and called you forward. And I can't help but believe because in your own evolving, mm-hmm. right, it's like, you are ready for this. Yeah. You are ready to literally burn down your house existence as you know it, right? Mm -hmm. And you needed to be stripped to get to even that more empowered, like deeper sense of self to like discover that, to then take on where you were heading unbeknownst to you until you did the Revelation Project. Yeah, and and so I get goosebumps by the way saying that I really do <laughs> yeah. because it's like I've heard this story, but I got to tell you, every time you share it, Monica, I get even more of a deeper sense of how far down in the crevices in those dark, right, really mm-hmm. damp 
scary places in order to literally come back to life. Well, and right, come back to life, but also bring something so meaningful and so healing really to the world. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, well, and herein lies this really interesting passage to, you know, in, you know, in terms of bridging over into the conversation of the revelation project is that one things got really interesting was, um, you know, I, I, I didn't plan on talking about this piece, but I'm realizing that to not honor it would not be, um, of service mm-hmm. to the people who do this work. And, um, and so I had said that, you know, there was a, there was a surrender that happened for me. Okay. And it was, it was in stages, right? Cause we're only, we're only, <laughs> especially when you're that fortified, meaning uh, I think of a fort, right? I had so many, um, or for those of you that were recently watching uh, Game of Thrones, like like the, um, you know, the winter is coming battle, right? Like that, it, where they had fortified the castle, right? With like the guards out front and the, you know, the horsemen and the, you know, Dothraki. And then you had to get through every layer, right? So there well was like- fortress, Right, well yeah. fortressed. And, and it's like, if, if I was down in the crypt, you know, kind of like trying to survive the battle- there were all of these layers of breaking down those barriers to get to the me, okay, that was kind of in the crypt, yeah, yeah, um, metaphorically. And so, really, like for me, what was part of that healing process was one day my my manager called, um, and this was right around the time that the final property was closing. Oh, I had I got sued too. That was the other thing that was part of this. I, oh, I was yeah, just let's just lay a little more. Ice yeah, yeah. It. There was there was a lawsuit. And I was also deeply in debt now because I, I was I had one of my retail stores at a, at a property and I couldn't I couldn't fulfill the lease because of the, the economy. Anyway, um, my manager called that day. And of course, I hadn't been to work in months, right? So she she said, you, you have to be the one to come in today. And there's a tax assessor that's going to be here and you have to, you know, sign papers, whatever. I said, okay, well, I'll come in that day, you know? And so I knew nobody was going to come in and I'd probably just lay down on the floor. I had a carpet literally in my office, right? Like that's the way I was thinking those days. And so I went in and I was the only one in there and I was in the back uh, curled up on the floor when I heard the bell and I thought, well, that's the tax assessor. And I went out and there was this beautiful, tall Adonis woman and she said, um, I was like, I'm sorry, we're not really open, you know, and there was really nothing left, very, very few things and the lights weren't even on, right? She said, I, no, did you call me here? And I was like, what? Oh, another crazy, right? Like, because every so often you get somebody that comes in, it's just a little, you know, um, you know, and she said, um, did you call me here? And I said, I'm sorry, I, I didn't call you. Like, what are, no. Mm-mm. Like, who are you? Even? Yeah, like what, <laughs> you know, and she's like, all right, I'm really annoyed. My guides told me to come here today. Oh, my. Oh, my, exactly. I was like, oh, boy. And and she 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 came up close to me and she said, um, are you ill? That's and I, a hell of a question. And I started to cry. Yeah. It was like, 
it was literally like she could see my soul. And I, I mean, ill, sick, right? Um, whatever I was, right? And, and she goes, oh, thank God. My guides just wouldn't leave me alone. And I'm thinking, woohoo. But at the same time, I'm, I'm thinking. So she says, I, I, um, I'm a doctor of acupuncture and I, um, you need me. My guides told me to come. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, this is this is hard for me to talk about only because I think I'm fearing the judgment out there right, right. now. It's like, like the you, you know, the woo woo. Right. Yeah. But here's what I've learned is um, that I can handle judgment because remember, like I was. That's right. <laughs> I was my own worst judge, critic, jury. So I'm just going to say what's true for me. And what's true for me is that this woman was another big lifesaver for me. Yeah. And she said, I want you to call right now. I want you to call this number from this phone. And she's pointing to the phone at the front desk while I stand here. And I was like, this is weird. And I called and I made an appointment with her, with the secretary that was picking up the phone. And I had never gone to an acupuncture appointment. And I went to her three times. And every time I went to her, the needles wouldn't go in my body. Mm, They would would come out. Mm -hmm. My body would reject the needles. Well, that means you got some work to do, right? right? When they're yeah. popping out like that. Yeah. And again, this is in between like going home, right? I was, I would get up and go to these appointments, but this was the only thing on my agenda. And on the third appointment, she said, um, you actually need a shaman. I want you to trust me. She said something else is going on and I, and I want you to go and see a shaman. And I was like, what's a shaman? And she said, well, I guess you're going to find out. And I did trust her by that point. You know, I I wasn't feeling any different, but there was something about her. Um, And to this day, I I adore her. You know, she's she's just of another world. Mm -hmm. And so I I followed her instruction and I made an appointment at the shaman. And, you know, I laugh because I think, you know, I was expecting him to be in these, you know, robes and in this like, um, I don't know, you know, like, right, you hear the shaman. word shaman and it's like yeah like mystical I mean, we, right yes, and yes. and it was like he had a secretary like everybody else and she's like wait in the waiting room and uh he also had a chiropractor or chiropractic business and herbal you know and and so when I went in to see him he had on like a Patagonia vest and hiking boots and he's like yo what's up you know like hey how you doing what can I do for you you know and I said, um, I, I said her name and I said, she told me that you're a shaman. And he said, oh, oh, she did, did she? And he kind of just was looking at me. And so he sat back in his chair and he kind of just asked me a few questions. And I was like, is this what a shaman does? You know, and then he said to me, all right, Monica, I got a question for you. Do uh, I've heard about your depression. I've heard about the fact that you've been in bed for several months. And, you know, I, I want to know. Do you talk to yourself the way you talk to your loved ones? Mm. Or do you talk to your loved ones the same way you talk to yourself? And and I was like, well, what kind of question is that, first of all? And second of all, I don't know how I know. I, I really didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't. It was like I, I knew what he was hinting at, right? Like I was like, oh, he thinks I talk badly to myself. Like, that's why this is an issue, you know, like, because, of course, I knew better always. Um but there was also something about just like sitting with that and kind of making a mental note to like start noticing, right? 
Anyway, from that point forward, after he was done asking me a few questions, um, he invited me to kind of lay on this examination table and he asked permission if he could do his thing. And I'm thinking like, I have no idea what. And so he said this ceremony and he, I mean, shamanistic work, I've done so much into it since. And I am so like, again, divine choreography. Like, I don't think anything else could have helped me. Like there was, I think not only did he do a soul retrieval, but you know, he really helped to clear me. Yeah, because shamans work with energy, right? Yes, yes. So yes. They, they're able to shift it, to remove it, to uncover it. Yeah, and so he he also removed what wasn't mine. Yeah. And that was a big part of, um, that was a big part of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's such fascinating work. Anyway, it was interesting. I felt a lightness of spirit afterwards. And he said to me, do you notice anything different? And I kind of did, but I kind of didn't. And he said, I want you to go and look at yourself in the mirror. And I did. And I, I I did. I mean, I saw kind of like this light in Mm. my eyes. Mm hmm. And from that point forward, which is saying a lot, I never went back to bed. He had me go home. He had me repeat this ceremony. He wanted me to go and write my story in the earth, find a sacred spot Mm -hmm. and just tell, tell, I didn't know what he meant. And he said, you're going to figure it out. Like just, and so I did with a, with a stick. I went home, I found this area under the rhododendron bush and I sat there and it was like I just wrote symbols that symbolized the story that as as I knew it you know at the time and I asked for you know guidance and a blessing and the next um day I I have this experience where I call it or well Glennon more accurately calls it like the god of the bathroom floor but of course at that time in my life I didn't know Glennon and I had kind of this release while I was taking um you know a shower it, it was like this emotional release this this torrent of energy and sorrow and and the 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 crying the sobbing you yeah. know that came from me and you know it was interesting this light came through the window and it was this light that made me know I don't know you know it's like I can't I can't really put words around it but there was a light there in that experience that I knew that there was something happening like a like um some kind of healing really and I And so I just, it was probably the first time I had allowed myself to feel at that depth. And at that point, I surrendered like the final, you know, the the final barrier between me and the crypt. And what would you say you surrendered? Control. Mm. I surrendered control. It, it, It was like really clear to me that I was not in control anymore. Like that, that control in the way that I had known it had not worked out for me. And it was, and it was controlling and managing, right? When I talk about control, it was like managing, yeah, managing the masks, yeah. managing the appearances, managing, you know, the facade. God, that takes so much energy, doesn't it? 
incredible energy. Oh my gosh. And it was like in that moment, also the release, it was like, you know, Atlas shrugged, right? There's no more like world on my shoulders. It was like, world be damned, you know, like, like, I'm so done playing by these rules. And it was about a a couple days later, you know, it's hard to kind of go back and like, think about the various things that happened. But somewhere in and around this period, I had a amazing woman who I'm sure was no accident that her appearance in my life, because she, she, again, was a very special spirit at that point. You know, she, she was, again, another piece of my healing, because um, she brought humor and levity, she moved in across the street from me, she had been through a recent divorce. She was artistic, articulate, I could go deeper with her. Um, and she's just a, another woman I just have a tremendous amount of respect for. And she showed up at my house, you know, after kind of, we had definitely hung out a little bit, you know, as I was kind of kind of coming out of this and slowly but surely I started sharing my story with her. But really shortly into our friendship and shortly into her moving in, she showed up one day literally with a laundry basket at my door and a camera on top with all these clothes. And she said uh, she was trying to get back into the dating world. And she said, I, I, I'm, I just hate myself. Like, I hate looking at myself. Like, I need to see myself differently. And um, I want you to photograph me. And... And I was like, all right, you know, and so it was it was really interesting what happened, right? Because because that became the foundational workshop for the Revelation Project. But of course, our work has developed so much since then into all of these offerings, all of these workshops, retreats, digital courses, right? There's I mean, when I think back to like this being nine, 10 years ago, yeah, actually more like 10 years ago, you know, because the Revelation Project was stops and starts in the beginning. So at this point, the cool thing about that experience um, with this amazing woman was she doing her hair that day, doing her makeup and photographing her the whole while I was interviewing her. And because our energies were so kind of like all oh God, I needed levity, right? And so God, she could make me laugh. And, and I was so cynical that I could make her laugh, you know, like we were just like, we just thought we were hysterical. And then later that night, well, and then it was funny, she goes, well, now let me do you, you know, like, I want to do this for you. And that night, and so we must have spent like, seriously, four or five hours. And then we, we go over to her house, and we had a spaghetti dinner, and her boys were with their dad that night, and we just kept going. And so we got in front of the computer, and we uploaded all of the images. And we started looking at them. And it was like, at one point, we looked at each other, and we both have tears streaming down our faces. And she looked at me and she's like, I don't think I've ever seen myself this way. Wow. You know? Yeah. And, and it was like, it was like, um, and for me too, like, I realized like, I had stopped showing up in photographs. I hate it. I, because here's the thing, like, I, I avoided photographs, I dreaded them. Um, because I had such a critical eye for myself, you know, it was like, n- never good enough. Yeah. You know, I could see every, Oh, God, you know, and that was 10 years ago. So my God, like how, how terrible could I have looked? We, we do such a disservice to ourselves. I mean, in all these beautiful stages of our lives to, to have been entranced 
into unworthiness yeah. so deeply that all you can see is your shortcomings, your flaws, your shadows, your, it's just such a racket. Yeah. Yeah. Entranced into unworthiness. Oh, right. Well, I, it is. It's a trap and it's a trance. Really is. It's li- it's literally like linguistic programming. It starts at a very early age for women. And, you know, by the time they're 13, they're entranced. They're, they're not coming out. Yeah, I would even venture to say um, that it's that it's even before that. Yeah, you know. Yes. Um, so, wow, how amazing! You know, I'm hearing these. You've you've mentioned three women that were you know these wise women that that came in at this time in your life that. Well, and the shaman was a man, so oh, it was right. Yes, the two women right. and the man. Yeah, and it, but it was it, yeah, but it's interesting, right? Like these were these were touch points in my healing journey that were critical touch points. They were critical touch points, and it's funny, you know, we oftentimes we're the instrument of somebody's healing, and we don't realize it. And of course, those that are in touch in that spiritual way are just conduits for healing. They really are. They're, They're such angels. Such I mean, angels. They really, you know, they are. And it's like, you know, they're, it's like, I call it when you, there's synchronicity or someone shows up in your life or you see a road sign and it's like, go this way. It's an affirmation. Go that way. Yeah. Yes, we're paying attention to you. You know, it's it's like, oh my gosh, and it always feels like it's a miracle, doesn't it? Right. And here's that here's the other cool thing. Well, two things I wanted to say about that. One is that's that also that final surrender was also, I think, me inviting the spiritual back to my life. Because I'll tell you, I had grown up in a very, very you know, I'd say what's the word I'm looking for? It it was a, I want to say like a strict Irish Roman Catholic home. It wasn't strict more. It was more, it was, I mean, my mom to this day, I mean, bless her heart goes to church every day. She's so faithful, right. To, to what she believes. And, and that was never my expression. Like I, I just, I couldn't resonate with, with that from the earliest time that I remember, in fact, I've written, um, I've just started written a, writing a, a bit of a memoir. And that was one of my earliest memories was really realizing that that was not my expression of my spirituality. And I didn't know what, I didn't know the difference because we're children, right? Like, I didn't know there was a difference between spirituality and religion. Of course not. Um, You know, and and a lot of people, unfortunately, still don't know, you know, that there's actually a difference. And and so for me, too, just knowing that I was inviting in a different experience that I didn't know what I was inviting, but I knew what I didn't want anymore. And sometimes that's enough. Yeah, it's almost like you start saying no, not that to the universe and the universe starts saying, okay, how about this? Okay, how about this? Right. But if you don't start saying no, not that you're not going to get what you want. And so that's when I started really kind of thinking articulately, 
<laughs> yeah. You know, like thinking more articulately because I was real clear about what I didn't want anymore and where I didn't want to go. Yeah. I just didn't know where I wanted to go. So all these experiences were starting to come to me. The other thing I wanted to just come back and circle around is that in addition to these people showing up in my life, what they were also modeling was their truth. And what I thought was really interesting about that, and I remember it striking me because the woman who came to me that day, who was like, my guide sent me here, right? Even though I was like, hoo hoo, like she had no shame, none. She was- That's a beautiful thing right there. She stood in her knowing and she was beautiful in it. Like she, it was compelling. And probably it's why I did what she told me to do because she was clear. And I knew she knew what she must know something because that just doesn't happen. Yeah. And, you know, with as cynical as as cynical as I was were really right. It's like you would have been able to really be able to identify the fraud. Yes. You know, and and um, I've had people come in and out of my life that, you know, do practice from that spiritual platform that have tremendous gifts. And I have to say, you know, I can pick up pretty quickly who's the fraud, who's truly gifted, and who's gifted, but not someone that I actually want to dance with in that realm. Right, right. right. You start being able to identify it. And I love that we're bringing this in today and that you, you, you are sharing this, this part of your story, Monica, because it's, this is where we are saying, you know, dare to know the invisible, the unknown. Or dare to, dare to, um, yeah, dare, dare to know at least that there is an unknown that has a whole world available to you. Yeah, we're supported in so many ways that we are. And here's the other cool thing, too, is that when I invited the spiritual, I, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to show up. Mm. Um, and yet the Revelation Project showed up. And um, the models for what I did want showed up. Mm. And my access to being able to see things I had never seen before showed up. And my and my ability to attract the next right person or the next right experience showed up. And it's interesting, right? Because here I had been having my whole life under, you know, control, right? Just controlling, (laughs) controlling, 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 and, and thinking I was getting everywhere. And it was an illusion. I was getting nowhere, nowhere. And I was deeply unhappy. And I had all the things I had all the things. I had the beautiful, handsome husband, the beautiful children, the corporate, you know, I had built, you know, a small empire, I had, right, I had all the things that everybody says they want. And I couldn't have been more unhappy ever, you know? And so it's fascinating. And, and it's interesting because when, when we work in the Revelation Project, when we put our lives inside the project, what we're doing is putting it into, this, into the life of spirit. Yeah. And, you know, that's been really kind of elusive for me to talk about, I think, because 
out of context, right, and we're having a contextual story, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't, you know, land. Um, and, and I think I'm always also, as someone who's very sensitive to that for myself, not wanting to do the project a disservice um, by, um, y- you know, because there's, I feel like it has so much to offer everybody. And we're also not hiding that we invite that third entity into everything that we do. And when I say that third entity, what I mean is that, that there is a spiritual dimension to our lives and that we are always working with spirit when we're working in the realm of transformation. Absolutely. Always. And so I realized after this first photo shoot with this woman that there was something about the witnessing process that was different, that created a different experience for the person being photographed and potentially for the person who was taking the photographs or witnessing the event, that there was a transformation available for both women. Mm. And what was interesting, because I've always been a little bit of a documentarian, and photos have always played a big part of my life, is that photos became a vehicle for understanding when a woman was or was not in her body and starting to observe what would happen and why it would happen. And and having gone through my own experience of kind of a near-death rebirth type of you know spiritual experience at least, I started to realize that we were attracting women that were having their own kind of rebirth in some way. Yeah. And that by witnessing them in this way and by putting a structure around um, the what became a workshop, that it became this very powerful transformational tool. And so again, it was the foundation of the Revelation Project, um, you know, but where we've come in the last nine years and of course how you got involved, which is another podcast and another story that you know, I can't wait to to tell, you know, is is just been like this extraordinary, you know, experience and, and journey, you know, yeah. with not only with all of the women who have come to do this work with us, but, you know, it's living the project every day. It's like, yeah, it creating it the is. tools to yeah put your life inside the project every day. And so, you know, I know that to some listeners out there, we're still kind of speaking in foreign tongues, but it's more about really to break this down. What we've done at the Revelation Project is we've created an arc of work that what we've noticed over the course of the last nine years and how women struggle, how they've been trained to be and who they really are are two different things. And so it's giving them access to the tools that can help them reveal the truth of who they really are. Yeah. And we do that through, you know, coaching, through um, content, through courses, through workshops, through retreats. And that's really what essentially we're, we're starting to have women practice is the muscle of soul diving, but into an area that is deeper than they've gone, and is really essentially starting with connecting them back to who they were before the world tried to change them and really also connecting them back to and restoring the compass. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, probably, I think the most 
intoxicating, exhilarating, really work we could ever do and journey as far as feeling alive, truly Mm -hmm. alive. Um, And, um, you know, I just, so it's, I just want to, before we wrap up here, you know, there, there's a term you, you coined, which I love, and it's so apropos at this point in our, in our talk today is, you know, you, you experienced divine trauma. And I'm so glad you did. (laughs) You know, from that place of, um, through suffering, these are where the, the miracles happen. Yeah, if, great if we, point. If we choose. We and, always want to run away from the suffering, yeah, but it's actually yeah. like a source of transformation. Yeah, and, and you you literally take have so much courage, Monica. And we talk about courage a lot. Um, and, you know, thank you, Brene Brown, too, for, for really bringing that for all of us here in the present day, right? So courage is so key. And, you know, again, I'm... I am grateful for your divine trauma um, that I get to be a part of it and dance with you and co-create and live inside this project, you know? Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. And thank you for the acknowledgement. I, you know, I do recognize myself as courageous now. I, I, I don't know that I felt that way then at all. Um, And I, and I also, you know, it's, it's like, and I recognize it everywhere now, you know, like I see these courageous women, you know, really kind of against all odds in a lot of ways. Um, because, because there's a system out there and it's a setup, it's, um, it's a big setup. And when women can reveal the system, they are free. Um, and you know, we talk a lot about surfacing this system so that women can actually navigate the world, you know, cause it's hidden this, this kind of system that we, that the revelation project has certainly seen. And so it really, for me is like, just, I'm in such great company these days, you know, that I also feel like energetically this, this happened to a lot of women. And, and I'm sure there's women out there listening that are nodding their heads because they've had their own universal smackdown and had no escape and have been forced in a lot of ways to make changes and to, you know, sometimes I don't, I mean, I, I kind of make this stuff up, but, you know, if you've been around the block a few times, meaning God knows, I don't, I, right? I, you know, want to have to come back again and again and learn my lessons. But I do think, you know, if you've been around the block a few times, and the universe is like, still, like, you're still not getting it. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Right, like, right. Let's just pull all the stops. Right. Here, you know, like, right. no, you know, you are going to evolve down here this time. Right, right. Right. Of course, I'm making this up. But, um, but and then there's going to be another layer, actually, like, absolutely. It's, it's, this is, it's never going to end and we all have a growing edge and that's just it too is like I'm still I'm still growing I'm still feel so nine years in and I'm like wow I am just beginning right even two years ago finally learning how to love myself and what that has has just oh even even in all those years of healing out the bed but still hadn't really gotten to the place where I knew what loving myself really looked like yeah um and and what it really was 
and you've been a huge model for me for that. So another one of my divine partners who've come to, you know, really just assist me from the moment you, you did the work, right? It was like, you were not taking no for an answer. Um, So we'll, we will, we'll get into that story next, but thank you so much. It's just been such a pleasure to talk about this today. And Lots of unexpected things came up for I me. Know. And got I mean, and I, I heard more. Yeah. Uh, some things I hadn't heard before, which is so cool, right? Um, so that's it. That's the reveal. The reveal. There is always more to be revealed, isn't yes, it? It's just, it's really the magic. Is. It's the magic. Yeah. We're going to wrap up here and just stay tuned because we'll be back with more revelations. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Monica. I love you. Love you too. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.